Want to build a thriving, buzzing community? Find out how in episode 20 of the Learning Revolution podcast. Hey there, this is Jeff Cobb, and I am amazed to realize that this is actually episode 20 of Learning Revolution. It's starting to feel like an actual going concern. I think I'm gonna have to figure out some way to really mark the occasion when we get to episode 25. If anybody has thoughts on how to do that, uh, please drop me a voicemail or uh, an email through the contact form at learningrevolution.net. If you are listening right now, and I'm assuming you are, then you are part of the audience for Learning Revolution. But in today's episode, we're going to move beyond the concept of audience and really dig in on the concept of community. I've had a number of guests here on Learning Revolution talk about the power of community. Alan Weiss, for example, and Leo Babauta. Community was incredibly important to how they've built their presence. But for this episode, I'm joined by a bona fide expert in creating and growing communities. Richard Millington, author of Buzzing Communities, How to Build Bigger, Better, and More Active Online Communities, is here to share his wisdom, and I'll tell you, he is indeed wise. Before we get to the interview, though, I'd like to introduce a new segment to the podcast. With a nod to Michael Stelzner, who does this so well in his social media marketing podcast, I want to start providing a tool or tip with each episode that can help you with your efforts to grow an audience, to build that thriving education and training business, and of course, to change the world. That is, after all, what it's all about here at Learning Revolution. So let's hear about the inaugural tip. Given that the focus of this episode is on community, I thought I would highlight a really simple tool that can be used for starting up a community, and that's an email list application called cc to many You can find it at cc and what it is is a very simple way to set up an email discussion list. Members can subscribe, and then whenever they want to send a message to the list, they simply address it to your list name at cctomany.com. So for example, I might set up something like learning revolution at cctomany, and then anybody who's part of that group could easily send messages to that address, and everybody who signed up uh, for the group would get that email. It's only about 10 bucks a month for 50 members, for up to 50 members. And the nice thing about this approach is that you don't have to keep adding people or, or taking people away from a CC field in your regular email. People can come and go, join the list, and, and leave the list as they please. Now, we tend to get very caught up, I find, with you know wanting the, the latest and greatest when it comes to doing things like online community. But the truth is that very simple is very often what works best. And I actually belong to a, a small community that uses CC to many. And in fact, I need to give a shout out here to Seth Khan, who I interviewed a while back. He was the one who started that community. And it really works beautifully for communicating among the, the people on the list. So be sure to check out CC to many and drop me a comment or, or leave me a voicemail through the, the voicemail option on the website uh, if you like that or if you have other suggestions and let me know what you think. Now, speaking of community, let's get on to the interview with Richard Millington. Well, I'm really excited to be joined for what I think is the first transatlantic interview here on Learning Revolution. 
by Richard Millington. And uh, Rich is the founding and the founder and managing director of Fever Be Limited, which is a community consultancy. And he is also the author of uh, what I think is just a really great book called Buzzing Communities How to Build Bigger, Better, and More Active Online Communities. So, welcome, Rich. Hi, Jeff, and thanks for having me for the first transatlantic learning revolution interview. Well, true, true pleasure. I have to say, too, I'm, I'm a bit of an Anglophile, uh, but we, we won't get into that discussion uh, here on the, uh, on, on the podcast. But I know you are somebody who is um, just fanatical and, and in a good way uh, about community, and you've really been at it for a while. I mean, you started pretty young with the whole concept of community and, and how to build them. How did you get involved in that, and what made you so passionate about communities? Sure. Do we have time for about a two or three minute story here? Sure. Have at it. Awesome. So back when I was about 14 or so, about 13, 14, um, I got really into video games and my family got an internet connection, not just any internet connection, but a really high speed internet connection mm. at an incredibly young age. And I quickly found out that you could play games online. And, you know, at that age, you think that's the greatest thing since I don't know, cotton candy or something. It's like the most amazing thing. And I was playing games online for a while, but I quickly found first that I wasn't so good at playing games online, but I was very interested in all the communities that were growing up around these games. And one of the things that I realized is that when I became more involved in these communities and volunteering for them and then developing my own, was that the same elements are present in every online community. And if you can identify and isolate what these elements are, you can use them as a blueprint to develop any number of successful communities that you want. So I began doing that mostly in the video gaming sector for a variety of different games. Um, and, and it's always like the online gaming space. And I quickly found out that there was an opportunity here. Someone said, hey, Rich, you should like get sponsors for this community. And I think I had a community of like, must be about 17,000 members or something around that amount. And so I went to a sponsor, a ink um, printing company, and they asked me how much money I wanted. So I thought about this for a while, and then I said, about 50 pounds a month. <laughs> now, at that age, that is you know, an insane amount of money. Like the next day, I went back to my uh, paper route job, and I quit. You know, I didn't need that job anymore. Um, but eventually, you know, everything just kind of grew from there. Um, and I saw a career advisor because my school became worried about all this real-world experience I was getting at right. And the career advisor said, you know, you should go to university and take a um, career in marketing. Um, so I went to university. I did like a year out as part of that course, as part of my marketing degree. And I became involved in um, online communities for the uh, marketing agency I was working with, and that went well. And then in 2008, I worked with, um, had this amazing opportunity to work with a terrific guy named Seth Godin, who some uh, of your yeah. audience might be familiar with. Everybody knows so, Seth Godin, yeah. Oh, awesome. So I spent um, a couple of months working with him um, up in Hastings-on-Hudson, just north of New York. And I learned so much as a result of that. And it was such a great springboard for everything else that I wanted to do in my career. So I carried on building different communities and different sectors, and everything just grew steadily and steadily from there. Um, but it really is just about identifying what the basics or the key building blocks of what a community is. And this isn't a technology thing. Right. It's more based in social sciences. And once you can identify that, it becomes so much easier to build any number of communities. And what? when it... 
Well, let me just finish this. Okay. Sure. Um, so when we got to the stage where there's more we can handle, we started hiring more people and doing a variety of different and really cool things. And, and so, well, I mean, I think it's you know fascinating that you got started in the in the gaming world in in, in the first place. I mean, when I think of you know big passionate communities, uh, things like World of Warcraft uh, come to mind. Where I mean, the, the people who are engaged in that just seem to be in, incredibly passionate uh, about what they're doing there. Um, and and I want to get into you know what are those uh, the, those social science principles um, from your perspective. Uh, but but maybe you know even before that or leading into that. Um, we we dove right in and started talking about community and your passion for them, but maybe we should back up a little bit and and what what do you mean when you say community? I mean, how is it how is it fundamentally different from you know just a, a group of people communicating with each other? Sure, that's a great question. I love it when it comes up. At the moment, we have so much confusion about what a community is, and it's strange because offline we have different terms that um, distinguish between, say, a community, an audience, a crowd, a mob, because mm-hmm. the context and the content of the interactions matter a lot. And even at an academic level, we've spent a lot of time going through all those journal articles that no one in their might in their right mind should ever read. <laughs> um, they don't agree. But what you find if you look in all of the articles, they generally, the same three things tend to come up. And we use that as our definition. So the definition that we use is that a community is a group of people who have developed relationships around a strong common interest. Now, those three things, that specific group of people, those um, that, that strong common interest, and those relationships are the key of three critical things. So for example, Coca-Cola has a Facebook has a Facebook page with, say, 50 million people that are on it that have liked that page. And a lot of people consider that to be a very successful community. We consider it to be an audience because if you look at that page and pretty much every other Facebook page that's out there, it's a group of people that interact with the person that is posting the updates on the page. They don't really interact with each other. They're not really building relationships with each other. And if you don't have those relationships, you don't have a genuine community. So it's really important that we're talking about the right thing here. Right, right. So uh, maybe to you know bring this home um, and make it real for the the audience that's listening, uh, who I who I hope will be a community at some point. Um, you know, if you are you know say a consultant, a trainer, or a speaker, you're, or you're you're maybe you're you're running a, a small training firm, um, uh, something along those lines, and you've obviously you've got products to offer, you're, you're focused on a topic area. So you've got this, you know, what would seem to be a natural area of interest to get people to congregate around where you've got some expertise. How would, how would you logically go from that point? You know, I'm this person with expertise. I've got some tools I can use to get out to the world. How would you go from there to starting to, to build a community that can, that can grow and, and scale over time? So the first rule is to start small. A lot of the people that try to build online communities try to have a really huge launch. They spend a lot of money. They try to invest in a big platform, and it doesn't work. Mm. To have a big online community, you have to begin with a small online community. And with the organizations that we work with, for example, what we do is that we focus on on who those first 50 and 150 members are going to be. And that usually means that that we build a list of them. And we build a list of them where we prioritize people by a certain criteria. So if we know them, we know they're more likely to join a community because we have a relationship with them. If they have shown above average level of interest in that topic, then they go towards the top of the list. So when it comes to launching that community, 
the way we defeat that chicken and the egg issue where no one wants to come to a community until there's people there, mm. the way we conquer that is by reaching out to the people that are most likely to be interested first and getting them to join a place that's simple. Perhaps that's a simple LinkedIn group, perhaps it's a mailing list, perhaps it's something else that is dead simple. So it's inserted within the habits that people already have because people already check their, e their email, for example. They don't have to be taught to go to a new site. And we initiate a few very simple discussions there, typically based upon things that people find most challenging. So when we interview some of the people on this list, we will look specifically for when they identify common problems um, or common ambitions or things that prevent them getting to where they want to be. And we will ask questions based upon that to get the initial discussions going. And then we will reach out to those people and invite them to participate in those discussions. So it's a very simple, logical, step-by-step -step way of getting that community. This is one of the things that I learned from um, Seth Godin, actually, to make everything as simple and as logical even before you launch so you know exactly what you're going to do, who you're going to reach, what you're going to tell them, how they're going to participate, and why they're going to interact with each other. Right, right. And, and you started to allude there, too, um, to the need for um, relevant content in the community and, and you're, it sounds like, you know, really tapping the, the community members or potential community members for what's going to resonate with them, what's going to be, be most relevant to them. And then you, you made a, a statement in your book that I thought was really interesting. And it was one of those kind of aha sort of moments for me um, where you said that really the, the best content for a community is content about the community. Could you, could you comment on that? I, I, for some reason, you know, I just hadn't really thought about it that way before, and, and, and it just seemed immediately obvious as soon as you said it. So this goes back to one of my first online community jobs. I was um, running a, a video gaming community for an organization, and a lot of my time was taken up trying to get fresh content about the games um, and post it on the site. And this was a really tedious process to do because first it's difficult to get the latest content first because by nature I'm stealing it from somewhere else that's, that's on the internet. And second, it's also very difficult to get people to read your site compared with other people. If you're trying, people are very, are very much fixed in what they read and they don't change their habits that often. And if you're in that new space or in that opinion or the um, expert advice space, it's really difficult to be the number one in that space. Mm -hmm. But there was a time where I was struggling for news and I noticed that there was a um, video gaming tournament that took place um, in some town in the UK. And I wrote about that tournament and who the winner was and I did a quick profile upon them. And usually to the news post up until then, I got maybe one or two comments. On this one, by the time I woke up the next morning, there were at least 20 and then we did more news about the people that were in the community and the level of participation immediately skyrocketed. And this is saying that we've applied to every community since because we make sure that the content for our communities is similar to the way that a local newspaper is to its community, where it's content about the community. So we talk about who's doing what um, in the community, what the topical discussions are. We interview the top people that are in that community. We talk about the upcoming events, we review the events that have just gone past, we welcome the new members to the community, but we try to make sure that the majority of content in our communities is content about the community. And that usually means mentioning people by name, it usually means trying to make sure that every day there's something new about that community, because this has such a fundamental role in building that sense of peer group amongst those individuals. 
And also, if there's fresh news there every day, then people are trained to come back every day to read that news. Right, right. And I, I love that analogy to a uh, uh, you know, small uh, town or small community newspaper. I, I think there's a lot to be taken from that. So you, you're, you know, you're advocating starting small, um, really focusing the, the content to the community, make it about the community. People love to be recognized. You love to see your name in, in the newspaper. So you know, the same should apply to a community. So th- those are obviously some, some key things that you need to do right in, in getting a community built. What, what do you see as kind of the, the major things that, that people tend to do wrong? And I know one you've, you, know, you talk about in the book is sort of the, the big launch uh, syndrome. Um, you know, maybe comment on that and, and, and other mistakes that you see uh, people or organizations make in, in trying to uh, get a community going. Sure. A lot of organizations, and this applies more to organizations and people that are doing it alone. When they tend to launch a community, they get afflicted by what we call big launch syndrome, where they're so used to doing big marketing launches that they try and apply that same approach to a community. And the problem with that is that that's the opposite of what they should be doing. And there's so much data, research, and evidence that suggests that communities don't begin with a big launch. They start small and they grow big. And if you want to grow a successful community, the first thing you have to do is to focus on getting those you know, 50 to 150 members that are actively participating in the community. But let's assume that an organization has done that, right? Other things that, organ- that people from all sorts of, uh, back- of backgrounds tend to get wrong is that a lot of them make the community about themselves. We spend a lot of time talking about what we call uh, conceptualization. So that means who is a community for, what is a community going to be about, what's going to happen within the community, and what's the benefit from participating in that community. And if we look at, for example, what is a community about? If you make the community about you, um, as a lot of organizations do, it's probably not going to succeed. You have to make the community about some benefit that they want to achieve. So it's a lot easier to have a very focused, specific benefit and build a community around that. So for example, um, like finance professionals that want to be more productive or want to cut costs in one specific field, then to have just a broad online community for finance professionals. So it's very important to have or to build your community around a specific goal or something that the community wants to achieve or experience together. If you can get that Con- that concept right, the very first thing you have to get right, then you're far more likely to succeed. Other than that, a lot of people are way too reactive about when it comes to growing and developing their community. So they launch a platform, they might pr- uh, promote the community a bit, but they don't drive it. They are far too reactive. They wait for things to happen rather than having this amazing, incredible plan of action for how to stimulate activity. So they're not, say, inviting five members to the community every day. They're not prompting people individually to participate. They're not organizing regular events and activities in their community. They're not stimulating regular fresh dis, uh, d- uh, discussions in the communities and participating in those discussions. So they're not doing enough to make that community take off. And finally, I guess the thing that happens a lot is that people give up too soon. One of the problems with developing an online community is that it looks like a complete failure moments before it is a success <laughs> and that is very difficult to deal with because you can have a community that doesn't seem like it's really taken off or getting much traction at all and then it can suddenly develop and grow really quickly but that can take maybe six months maybe a year 
but you have to go through that process of keeping doing that basic work of developing the community. Otherwise, you can just end up giving up just just too soon. Right, right. And, and I think on the, you know, on the surface, uh, communities sound like a lot of work, and I guess they are a lot of work. Um, you know, and, and I think uh, probably a lot of people will start them thinking somehow we're going to make some money off of this. Um, I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, money and communities. And that might, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, charging to be a member of a community or, you know, selling within a community, having the community kind of be your market in a way. What what are your thoughts on on that? So I think it can work extremely well uh, when you charge a membership fee to be a member of the community. Because it means you don't always have to attract as many people as possible. You can focus on the members that you have. And also, if you promote it right, if you get the right people in there initially, it can really take off. If you are going to charge a membership fee, you have to make sure that initially you have the right people that are in that community. That usually means approaching the key people that are in your sector, in in your industry, have the best level of expertise and getting them in the community first. Perhaps not even charging them to be a member and then promoting the people that are in the community to get the other people to join. When you charge a fee, it can work really well, but people expect a lot more for that fee. Mm. They expect to know what the um, latest advice is. This is usually for a community of practice. I haven't seen it work in too many other types of communities. So I'm assuming this is for a community of practice. Right. So yeah. that usually means issuing regular documents highlighting what's on the cutting edge of that practice. There's a great book by um, Etienne Vengo about called um, Cultivating Communities of Practice, which I recommend. But it means um, identifying what are best practices, um, having lots of material for people that are new to that topic. Um, It means highlighting what's what's on the cutting edge and different ways of resolving that. People expect a lot more tangible advice as much as they do the interactions with with each other. And they also expect you generally to be organizing more real-world stuff. So perhaps that's um, events where people can meet up but they have slightly higher expectations. Hmm. So I think charging mem- a membership fee is generally a good idea if you have that sorts of um, those sorts of things to support that. Right, right. And then, I mean, then what about you know if you're somebody who has you know training, education type products, you've built this community, whether you're charging for it or not. I mean, what? Uh, how do you how do you carefully go about um, you know making sure the community is aware of those and, and potentially will participate in them, pay for th- those products you're creating without alienating people? You know, Seth um, had a great quote that I absolutely love. He said, "It's easier to find. Uh, sorry, it's harder to find people for your your products than products for your people." Mm. And what it means is that if you have an established online community. You can ask them what they most need and then develop exactly that that you can sell to them. And it's so much easier to, to do that than to try and find different people to buy whatever you're selling this week. So if we look at the uh, course that we teach, and we teach a course on how to build online communities, that course came about because we had a very um, popular and successful blog and we're asking people, what do you need? We're asking our clients, what do you need? What would most help you? And what a lot of people wanted was, sim- was simply a place that contained all the information that they needed that they could send their new employees and current employees to take. And so we developed exactly that and sold it to the audience that we already had because we know that's what they wanted. So, so go ahead. I was going to say that. I mean, that's just such a great point. I, I actually, um, 
I interviewed uh, Alan Weiss, who's kind of known as the, the million dollar He's consultant. Amazing. Yeah. And I mean, he does that all the time. He goes out to his community and says, what do you need? And people will write in and say, we need this, 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 this. And he says, you know, once I get 25 people signed up for this, it's going to be, you know, 1200 bucks a piece or whatever. And, and we'll do it as soon as I get, you know, as soon as enough people say they want it. And it, and it happens again and again. I mean, he's done a great job cultivating his community and, and doing that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, if you have existing products that you want to sell, then you can do that within the community, just as long as you do it in a very careful way within that community. Right. If you're if you're telling your members at any point in time to buy what what you're selling, that's probably the wrong approach. But if you want to give, say, members free trials, we have what we call um, a tremendous value exchange concept, mm. which is generally if you want someone to do something for you in the community, you have to position it in a way that it gives them a lots of lots of value first so you, you might give the people in your community the opportunity to buy your product your products before any, before anyone else or to try them or to see them or to give you feedback on them for anyone else something that that's exclusive that rewards them for their participation in the community you might give them the unique ability to help create the products and shape what you're going to sell you might give them discounts because they're being loyal members of your community if you are going to sell you have to do it in a way that benefits in some way the people that you're trying to reach Right. And I'm and I'm not saying that you can't do it, and but typically this isn't the best way to do it, but it can be done. Right, right. Well, well fantastic. Well, as, as we're kind of heading down the home stretch here, um, I, I know a lot of people listening to this will be saying, "Okay, community, you know, great idea. Would love to build that. Um, uh, you know, hopefully have that as, as part of my sort of broader business model um, going forward." Um, but how do I do it? And and I know they're going to be thinking, you know platform what what do i what do i use for technology on this i know your perspective is technology you know gets too much emphasis but are there you know are there are there any tools or or, or tech type tips that you might give to people um as they're thinking about putting up something to to support an online community so technology generally for communities is overrated you can have a very successful community on a very bad platform and you can have a community that completely fails on a very good platform mm. It's more about the skill and the ability of the community manager than any platform. Having said that, if you are going to select a platform, you have a lot of options that are out there. Don't develop your own platform from scratch. There are so many great platforms that are out there right now that you're far more likely to make a mistake and do it wrong and ignore best practices if you try and develop your own. Instead, consider what your budget is, what your time frame is, and what else is out there, what your audience needs are. You don't want to be using a platform that your audience has never used before. Your options are basically an enterprise platform like, say, Lithium, um, Yammer, Telligen, um, Jive. And these are at the very premium end. If you have, say, 50 grand a year to spend on a community platform, mm -hmm. that's what you want. Um, you have white label options. Um, Ning, which is a client of ours, um, I really like. So they have a platform that will cost you a few, a few hundred dollars a year. And they set you up with a platform that's proven to work. If you want more customization than that, then you have open source options. So I would recommend Drupal with maybe the Advanced Forum plugin or the vBulletin plugin that's out there. Mm -hmm. um, or finally, if you don't think you need that, then go with something very simple like a forum package like vBulletin or a simple LinkedIn group or an email group. What's always been really interesting to me is that the community for community managers is called Ement. And it's based on a simple Yahoo group. It's, I mean, e email groups don't get anywhere near enough attention as they should do 
but they're proven to work and they're really simple to get going and they don't cost a penny. So I would strongly recommend people consider that unless they really need something else. Well, great. Now, I would uh, certainly uh, echo those words. I've participated in some communities that were very, very simple, just driven by email that have been very vibrant and and, uh, have been extremely helpful to me. Well, Rich, thanks so much. Um, As we're wrapping up here, um, where can folks best find you? Um, I guess the best way is to go to www.feverbee.com. Um, and we share a lot of advice for free there. We try and give away as much of our knowledge as possible. Um, so it's entirely free. So just go to feverbee.com. Great. And, and you do have uh, fantastic resources there that you've done a, a great job of organizing. I know folks can find uh, Buzzing Communities, your book there. They can find out about your community management uh, course, which looks like a, a fantastic offering. So folks, definitely go visit uh, Rich and Feverbee. And Rich, thanks again for taking the time to talk today. Thanks a lot, Jeff. It's great to have this uh, opportunity. That wraps up my conversation with Rich Millington. Definitely be sure to check out the resources on his site. And really, if you're looking for a good how-to guide for creating and growing a community, you really can't beat his book. I would I would urge you to get that. In fact, Rich has said he's going to send me some copies. So if you're interested in getting one for free, here's a deal. Send out a tweet that links back to this episode of the podcast. And you can do that easily by just doing learningrevolution.net forward slash episode 20. Send out that tweet and be sure to include at JT Cobb in the tweet. I'll be looking at the mentions stream on Twitter and the first three mentions that I see come through, I will send those people a copy of Buzzing Communities. As always, thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing here on Learning Revolution, please consider giving a brief review on iTunes. Reviews are really, really important in the iTunes world, so I'd be truly grateful. You can get there easily just by going to learningrevolution.net forward slash iTunes. And when that screen comes up, you'll see over to the left, you can click a button to launch the iTunes application. It'll take you straight to the Learning Revolution screen where you can do a rating or a review. Remember, you can get the show notes for this episode, which is episode 20 at learningrevolution.net forward slash episode 20. There'll be some great links there from the interview with Rich and, and other resources. In the meantime, this is Jeff Cobb signing off from the revolution. <laughs>